back on Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 Fan Justin and Ailish. We got to see a lot of this guy last week. Being in the office around noon, 3 p.m., see a lot of Jeff Blair. Yeah, we do. And he's a big, nice guy, okay? He tries to put on the shtick, but he's a softie. We gave him deep-fried bacon-wrapped wings, and I think we dug a hole in his heart. We turned him. We turned him. Our Insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Jeff Blair, co-host of Blair and Barker, bestie to Justin and I. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing well. Um, <laughs> appreciate the intro. We're I'm, trying I'm, our best. <laughs> well, I, I'm not certain that it necessarily... What? Turned turned my heart, oh. but uh, the the bacon wrapped wings they were <laughs> was, they were okay. Okay, yeah, the donut stuff I was not going. That's there. okay. That's, I, that's, I, just, that's a crime against cuisine. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, very in, much anticipated interview with you because we didn't get any post game Jay's talk from you or Kevin this weekend, so nobody knows how you're feeling this morning about the Blue Jays. So, how are you feeling this morning? I mean, if you had told me on August 28th the Jays would be out of a playoff spot and looking very much as if a team, as if they're a team that's almost in fumes, yeah, I I, I, I wouldn't have bought it. But that's kind of where we are uh, right now. That was, um, yeah, last, uh, yesterday was, I mean, I don't like using the phrase gut punch that much, but yesterday was a gut punch. I mean, you empty your bullpen against a team that just doesn't score many runs, has a difficult time hitting home runs, and you end up losing in extra innings. You know, in, a, in one of those games where at the end of the year, when you sit down and analyze some of the decisions that were made in the dugout and elsewhere, you, you, you look at that game and you go, okay, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? I mean, there were... Pick an issue. Uh, Santiago Espinal swinging at a three-zero pitch. Uh, I, I didn't have that big. A, I didn't have that big a problem with asking Kevin Biggio to bunt. Although it, it's such it's such a basic play. If you have a guy on second base, um, you you, you want to. You want to bunt to the third base side. You want to force the other team to put the wheel play on. And basically what you do is you turn it into a foot race between Danny Jansen and whoever's shortstop to get the third base. And Kevin Biggio literally did everything wrong on that bunt. Um, and, and I understand Cole Calhoun uh, hasn't played a lot of first base. Uh, he looked, he had a couple of shaky defensive plays earlier in the game. I mean, I get all that. Uh, but man, if that you're really overthinking it, if you go up to the plate asking someone to bunt to a fielder's specific weakness, and you know John Schneider and Don Mattingly and whomever they can't, I mean they can't swing the bat in the in, in the batter's box. But I just it, it was another game where everything we heard about attention to detail, everything that was preached in spring training. Everything that was talked about in all the telecasts and the broadcasts, how uh, you know this this was going to be one of the uh, focal points of, of John Schneider as a manager was attention to details. I mean, again, it's a it's a team that doesn't seem able to be able to pay attention to details, and, and um, 
you know, it's uh, it's it's not good. I mean, I, I can't put it any other way. There's a um, there's just a sense around that team, and I I don't know how to explain it, but there there's a sense around that team that um, that there's just nobody has any answers for what's going on. Yeah, that's the great irony of this Blue Jays season. I mean, what they trumpeted, they can't deliver on, it seems. And that's why, uh, I mean, if we're picking one moment, I get. I mean, there's multiple moments, you're right. Uh, but the Biggio one does stand out. Uh, do you think it's the call or does Biggio act in his, like, does he go to first base because he feels more comfortable with first base? Like, what do you what do you think I actually just think he, happened there? I think he got his angle wrong. Um, I, I mean, I'm not, I talked to Barker about this year. He, he said, I... So I just think he got his angle wrong. Uh, it was a failure to execute. But, you know, when you are a guy who, I mean, Kevin's become more of a regular lately, but if you are a guy who is going to need to use your versatility and, and your utility and your ability to come off the bench and, uh, you know, deliver the right play at the right time. If if that's going to be the hallmark of your career, you've got to get it right at times like that. And I mean, he didn't. And and it ended up. I, I you know, there were other parts of the game. There were some pitch decisions that were a little odd. The umpiring was tight for both sides. I mean, I heard a lot of criticism about the umpire. The umpiring was tight for both sides. Uh, the Jays got a couple of real gifts <laughs> from Shane Livensbarger last night. Um, but, yeah, they, they just uh, – it was just a lot of bad, questionable decisions, I guess is the way I'd, I'd put it. And it, 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 I keep hearing all this talk about the Jays need to play with a sense of urgency. You know, uh, Bo Bichette, I think, talked about the need to be fearless. Mm-hmm. I think I I don't know if a sense of urgency is necessarily the issue. I th- I almost think they just need to relax a bit at the plate, and and you know that gets back to the whole issue they have. They appear to have with with hitting strategy. Uh, it's just not there. And man, oh man, they are they're you know they're torching some really good pitching. And this is the thing that concerns me. You know they've got the Washington Nationals coming into town. They're not a very good team, but their record's the same as the San Diego Padres, and they are capable of playing good baseball, and they are an athletic team, and they're playing with house money. They've got no expectations on them. And, boy, having that that bullpen emptied and possibly, you know, certainly you'd have to say question marks lingering over Matt Chapman and Bo Bichette. I, I mean, this could really set up to be a nasty, nasty homestand for these guys. And frankly, it could it could be the homestand that cost them a playoff spot. And who the hell would have thought that games against Cleveland or Washington would end up being at home, mm-hmm. would end up being games that might cost you a playoff spot. But that's kind of where we are at this team. Yeah, you can't take anyone lightly, especially a team, as you say, that could have a little bit of a scary edge or nothing to play for. House money, like sometimes you just want to be a spoiler and you can't take anyone lightly. And I think the Blue Jays certainly uh, put themselves in the opportunity here where they got to win and they got to go on a winning streak. Uh, We had... Ben Ennis on uh, earlier in the show and he had a tweet yesterday and talked about it today that it was the first time that he felt that maybe this Blue Jays team won't have a chance um, at the playoffs. They might be toast. Uh, Where are you at with the big picture of are they going to be able to make a wild card spot 
or not? And is this, uh, was this like the dagger in it for you this weekend? Love your thinking, big picture perspective. Maybe it's time to think what happens this off season. I, I mean, I've started thinking about what happens this off season. Mm-hmm. I started thinking about that like three months ago, <laughs> to, to be honest, <laughs> when it became obvious that this team, it became obvious that this team's lineup just, uh, it's just not good enough. Um, and more to the point that they are shockingly thin uh, as well. Um, here's the there's there's two sort of saving graces for the Blue Jays. One, the starting pitching is good, and that does literally does give you a chance every game. So that's positive. The other thing is that right now, at least, there is nobody between them and the team they need to catch to go into the wild card. So, and I know that's, that's boy, that's really looking at glass half full. <laughs> but it's a lot better than mm-hmm. having one or two teams in front of you that you've got to jump over in order to beat a team to get to the wild card spot. But, I mean, that's all I got for you. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the end of the, um, that's the, end of the positives. And I, and I guess maybe, maybe the other sort of uh, silver, I don't even know if silver lining is the right word, it, it it does appear as if Vladdy and George Springer are starting to see some results. And, you know, it's it seems as if Vladdy is starting to see some results for all that hard contact, hitting a couple of home runs and Springer hitting a couple of home runs. So that, you know, those that's basically all I got for you right now. But, uh, yeah, I would say watching the way yesterday's game unwound on the Blue Jays really, really, just really reinforces the idea that this lineup, uh, this lineup may not be good enough to go to go to the playoffs. And as I said, I never thought, I, I don't think I, I, I certainly didn't think I'd see the Jays out of a playoff spot in August 28th. I don't know if I ever thought I'd mm-hmm. see them out of a playoff spot at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, this late in the season, no, nah, I never thought I didn't see this coming. How about a positive that looks like David Schneider is going to be in this lineup uh, and earned himself, even though it felt like many times he had earned himself a spot uh, in the roster. It looks like you can't pull that kid from the lineup, and maybe that's a positive thing that uh, we John learned. John Schneider might think the opposite. Well, but... has he learned, or will we see him up and down again? I mean, I get, leave him out there. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I tend not to get really overly excited about dudes who come up from AAA and have a good three weeks he's got a cool stash jeff <laughs> um <laughs> you know i mean why not who's i mean who who deserves to play more than he does yeah right now i i have no problem keeping him in the lineup but i i'm just really i'm really wary about uh about putting too much faith in dudes that come up and 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 have a start like that um, you know, let's kind of see the second time through. Let's see what happens when there's a little more video evidence of, of what he is. I mean, I will say this. I and I think Buck did a terrific job of breaking this down yesterday on a, his at bat. I I just I love his approach. I mean, he's got a, you wish everybody in the team went up to the plate thinking the same thing he was thinking. And for whatever reason, you know, maybe it says something to us that the guy, the guy who's been the farthest away from a lot of the hitting strategies this organization employs at the major league level is uh, the guy who's having success right now. Yeah, maybe that, maybe that tells you something. 
Uh, Jeff Blair on the line with us. I want to go back to your three-month retrospect uh, once you realize this team might not be what we expected that it could be. Uh, you know, we talk about John Schneider. Maybe he's a guy who's thrown under the bus. Maybe he should not be managing this team. Who knows? Uh, but when you think of the name James Click over the last three months, like, is it, you know... Uh, the next in line, just waiting to be there and waiting to take over? Like, where where do you think he fits in, especially if this season ends up being the failure that it's trending towards being? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's a couple of things. You know, James Click, a lot of people are going to look at him and go, okay, this is Ben Charrington all over again. You know, Ben Charrington loses a job, joins the Blue Jays, sort of keeps his hand in the game, then ends up going on to Pittsburgh. Um you know, there's the other, the flip side though. Alex Anthopoulos ends up going to LA, kind of bides his time for a couple of years before moving on. I'm I'm looking at teams right now that probably would be looking for GMs. Uh, maybe the Yankees, although I don't necessarily think Brian Cashman will be the fall guy yet. But maybe the Yankees, certainly Chicago, uh, San Diego. I suppose AJ Preller has to be. Uh, has to be under the gun a little bit there, um, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know. James James Click's title, I think, is vice president of strategy or advisor, strategic advisor, or something like that. I don't know entirely what that. I think VP of strategy sums it up. Yeah, yeah, what that what that entails. But I mean, you do have a guy in the front office who's got a World Series ring. And he probably would still be in Houston were it not for the fact that, you know, he ran into a kind of a an odd political situation with with Jeff Bagwell and and uh, and and the owner sort of having having this, you know, this very solid relationship and and uh, Jeff Bagwell being in the owner's ear all the time. So that was kind of an odd an odd situation. I mean, I said this at the start of the year, and I still maintain it. This team doesn't make the playoffs. Uh, somebody loses their job, and that's what this year was all about. It was, in the very least, making the playoffs. So who is that? Well, Mark Shapiro ain't going anywhere. So the focus would be on, on uh, you would expect, on Ross Atkins or John Schneider. Part of the, the issue I have with Link, too much of the blame at John Schneider's doorstep is, um, again, I've, just, I've operated under the assumption that this is a flawed lineup and that some decision was made in the offseason that didn't work out for this team. And I, I don't know what player move that was. Uh, I have my suspicions, but I'm not entirely comfortable sharing them, but I... I, I think I have a, an idea about what may or may not have happened with a certain deal that was on the board. And so John Schneider's left with a situation where he's kind of got, he's got to manage the hand that he has. If you go back and look, the number of times that John Schneider, or the number of times the Jays found themselves in crucial situations where Matt Chapman ended up at the plate and didn't come through or early in the year when Dalton Varsha was at the plate and didn't come through. It's like the game kind of developed the way you'd want it to develop. If you were John Schneider, you know, you've got men in scoring position, which is what you want. But a couple of guys that you were forced to count on didn't come through. 
and I don't know if that's on the manager entirely. I don't think it is. You know, the decision to have Varsho hit cleanup, I I don't understand. I, I never will understand. I think it's taken Dalton two and a half months to kind of find his footing again after that after that decision. But if you look at this lineup, if you know, if if you are married to having George Springer lead off, which this team, which Schneider and everybody else was at the start of the year, uh, then you ask yourself, okay, how are you going to set your how are you going to set your lineup to do maximum damage? And and more often than not, uh, the Jays did find themselves in a situation where they had dudes in the middle of the order up with men in base, but they just they didn't come through and. I guess part of me right now thinks, would it have been better to move George Springer down into the middle of the order earlier, like a month and a half ago, two months ago? Um, you know, I, I've been very clear from the start. I think Bo Bichette should have been hitting in the middle of the order, try to build some big innings. But Bo got off the good start hitting second. And, you know, the numbers suggest if you hit second, you're going to come to the plate in a game more than if you hit fourth or fifth. So, okay, that's fine. I want give me the extra Boba shed at bat any day. So I, I look at that and I ask myself, what, what realistically could John Schneider have done, especially since we know that there are, you know, a number of voices involved in the decision-making just about anything that happens with this team. So I don't, I don't know exactly uh, when it comes, when it comes to the manager, I, I do I do know this. I've said in the past that I judge a manager ninety percent of the time by how he uses his bullpen because to me that's you know, once the game starts, it's not like football. You can't change you can't change an offensive formation, right? You can't suddenly uh, throw a game plan out. Once the game starts, it's up to the players to kind of do what they can do. All you can really do as a manager is you know make sure dudes are where they're supposed to be and make the right moves with the bullpen. And I would suggest that John Schneider has done a pretty good job this year with the bullpen. Uh, I would suggest he's done a pretty good job making the decision on when to take on when to take the starting pitcher out. I mean, there have been a couple of times the pitchers haven't been happy, but that's I, I'm okay with that. I think John, when he makes those decisions, is on pretty safe ground. So then it gets down to the lineup, and all you can do is put the names in and try to arrange it so that you get your middle-of-the-order guys up with men in base. And if they can't come through, like, I, I don't know what else you're supposed to do. You know, um, It's not on John Schneider when to promote Davis Schneider. That's not his call. That's the folks in the organization's call. Uh, it's not his call to make a deal at the trade deadline, right? That's a deal above him. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm not quite prepared to, uh, to sort of throw John Schneider under the bus the way, the way a lot of people are, because I think if you look at it, if you look at it on balance, I think his decisions have been pretty good. No, and you definitely have to wonder about Ross Atkins. I mean, given what you just laid out there, it's a, it's above John Schneider. It's falling at the feet, I guess, of Rod, Ross Atkins first and foremost. I wonder, though, in your opinion, does he have one more move left this season? Like, it might be necessitated with Bo and Chapman exiting games with injury and Bo's uh, being related to his absence, uh, his knee and his quad. 
Um, but like, does it make sense for a shot in the arm, Addison Barger, Relvis Martinez? Do you see that happening? I mean, I'd be lying if I said I've been paying a great deal of attention to what to what they're doing at AAA. Um, I mean, I get you know why not? If, if I mean, your hand will be forced if you don't have um, if you don't have Matt Chapman or, or Bo Bichette, you're going to you're going to have to do something. Uh, you know, you're going to have to make a decision about third base next year. Anyhow, I don't think there's any way you bring Matt Chapman back based on what we've seen this year. So I guess the question is, do you think if you think Addison Barge or, or if, I guess more importantly, if you think Arelvis Martinez has a legitimate shot at being your opening day third baseman next year, then sure, bring him up. Other than that, I'd rather leave him down in AAA and same thing with Addison Barger. Um, I'm not certain bringing a dude up into a team that is out of a playoff spot. I mean, essentially what you're saying when you do that is help us, right? Help us get into a playoff spot. I'd rather be bringing guys up, frankly, when a team is playing well or has a playoff spot or is, you know, in second place or whatever in the East. And then you bring a guy up when the rosters expand if you want and let him get his feet wet wet in a successful a successful situation. I'm I'm not sure this is the environment you want to bring uh, two of your top prospects into right now. Uh, but again, your hand, you know, your hand, your hand may be forced if 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 Bo or Chapman are going to have to miss an extended amount of time or any amount of time. I mean, you can kind of you can fill in a bit with with Kevin Biggio and Espinal, but you you are going to need to get other bodies in here. And uh, if that's the case, I, I guess you can give him a go. But I'd rather just let Arelvis finish out the year in AAA, have a great year, go into the offseason feeling good about himself, and then see what the offseason brings. Because mm-hmm. you know, if this team is serious about winning next year, and it's going to be serious about winning given the fact that the starting rotation is under contract through next year for the most part, you know, given the fact you still have Vladdy and Bo here, you've got Springer under contract, you've got Varsho for a while. It's not like you've got to rip the core of this team apart. Uh, it, it, you have to ask yourself if that's the case realistically, mm-hmm. right? If Realistically, if we think the Blue Jays are going to have a shot at the postseason next year, are you going to do that with Arelvis Martinez as your starting third baseman? Or are you going to need to go out into the market and either trade for somebody who's got who's a little more established, or if there is a free agent out there, if somebody turns down uh, an option, do you try to sign that free agent and buy you some time with Arelvis Martinez? And that that's that's kind of where I am. If if you don't think Arelvis Martinez can be your opening day third baseman next year, then I'd almost leave him down in AAA, and um and and let him finish the year and then proceed from there. Is Barker back this week? Oh, he is back. He's okay. ready too. He's been he's been texting and calling me the last three <laughs> days. He's got he's got he's already got I, I got a question. You gotta ask me this question right out of the gate. So okay, well, he's all he's all set to go. Perfect. Uh Blair and Barker will be a one you can't miss today and all week long. Jeff, thanks for coming on today and uh don't miss us too much this week. I won't, I won't. Okay. I won't. I'll uh, just make sure, you know, you can leave the odd food item around oh, if you want, no as problem. long as it's 
Yeah, just not the not the donut thing, though. A little healthier. I was thinking those bacon wrap wings might be the uh, the key to opening up that Blair vault on maybe the missed opportunities in the offseason. We'll 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 find out. We'll We'll chat. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. We'll keep in touch. Take care, guys. Be well. Thanks. Uh, That's Jeff Blair, co-host of Blair Barker, of course. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. There was no Barker for a couple of days last week, and I know... That he's got a lot to say today. So don't miss Blair and Barker, of course, later this afternoon. It'll be a good one, 5 to 7 p.m. Yep, always a must-listen, always uh, a must-watch. I've been informed in the text line that the guy I called a loser, Noah Lyles, U.S. sprinter, won gold in the 100, the 200, and the 4 by 100. That doesn't change a loser mentality, though. Loser <laughs> energy. You had to get that one out. Right? Defend yourself, Justin. So he did. He did have a good, you know, good time in Budapest. But, uh... Loser energy, nonetheless. Um, okay, send your wake and rake picks in. Uh, we'll have a little bit of time at the end of the show, but we have another guest to get to. Before that, as we mentioned, Guns N' Roses coming to Rogers Center on September 3rd, and we're giving away tickets. It's your second chance of the day to enter. Text in today's code word, night train to 59590. Again, night train to 59590. Today's the last day that we're giving away tickets for the show. However, if you don't win with us, Make sure to visit Ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. Guns and Roses, September 3rd, Night Train. And a lot of people were unable to spell Night Train correctly. N-I-G-H-T space T-R-A-I-N. It's that simple, folks. If you're going to call them out, you got to nail it you and you did. You can do it. There you go. You can do it. Um, Joe House, host of the Fairway Rolling Podcast and host of East Coast Bias, will join us Talk a little Victor Hovland and a little NFL preview. That's next on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Justin and Ailish. Is Victor Hovland the best golfer in the world? He might be. At least he was over the weekend, or last two weekends. Uh, to s- discuss that topic and more, let's bring in our next guest, Joe House, host of the Fairway Rolling Podcast and co-host of the East Coast Bias. Uh, good morning, Joe. Thanks for jumping on with us. Teammates, how we feeling? How are you guys doing? We're pretty good. We're probably not as good as Victor Hovland. I mean, $18 million, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, it's just a ridiculous sum of money, uh, and it's fantastic for him. But I wonder, like, it's just been so dominant. Like, is he, is he the guy? Is he supplanted, usurped? Scotty Scheffler, is he the best golfer in the world? So the fun conversation is about, you know, player of the year, and that hits on exactly what you're asking. I don't think Scotty Scheffler is in that conversation because Scotty Scheffler can't putt. I mean, I don't know how much more evidence, how many more of these rounds. He finished dead last in the field of 30 in strokes gained putting. Uh, Scotty Scheffler did, and we down here in the these United States are extremely concerned about his prospects going into the Ryder Cup. He has a month to figure out a putting stroke, but let's give Victor Hovland the flowers that he deserves. He's definitely the best player in the world right now, and his ascendance over the last, you know, really eight weeks since he won the Memorial and what he's shown us in his ability to go into these hard golf courses with great uh, strength of field competition 
and and go out and and win. I mean, the only thing that we're waiting on with Victor is is his first major. He does have uh, a U.S. amateur on his uh, resume. He won the U.S. amateur out at, at Pebble Beach. So it's just a matter of time with Victor, it seems, um, to get his first major. But the player of the year conversation is Victor Hovland against John Rahm, and that's a pretty fun conversation to have. Can I also argue that Victor Hovland's the most likable guy on tour? He, he the guy takes a happy pill every single morning. We we should all be so lucky <laughs> to be walking around life, you know, at the at the top of our skill set and and seemingly no worries whatsoever. He 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 does have a likability factor that goes through, you know, it's it's through the roof. Um, I can't think of a single bad thing to say about him mm-hmm. other than, you know, an occasional, it seems like, you know, as a sports fan, sometimes he doesn't seem to have like super high interest in every single competition. It's the best thing I can come up with in a way of a criticism because he's always happy. And he, he, he had an awesome um, resume across the majors this past season, uh, not even though he didn't win. Well, I'm sure he'll be invested uh, in the Ryder Cup in Rome. And I wonder, and we'll, you know, dig into what it's looking like in terms of candidates for both the U.S. and Europe. But to start at the top with Victor Hovland, like, how far can, like, how can Europe just utilize him in a way where he can make and break the tournament for them? Like, how much of a weapon is it for Team Europe to have Victor Hovland right now at the top of his game. If he continues what he's been doing, what does that mean for Europe at the Ryder Cup? He's a tremendous weapon. I expect him to compete in every single round of competition. So he'll have, you know, four team competitions and then a singles play. That's the most you can you can do in the Ryder Cup format. So he'll have five opportunities for Team Europe to climb aboard and I was lucky enough to have a vacation just a couple weeks ago in Italy, and it included a visit in Rome. And did I sneak over to that golf course <laughs> and put down a credit card and you know get out on that? I sure did. I was trying to do some scouting How's for my own purposes, which is to say my my betting. <laughs> it's it's very it's very cool. You know, it's a it was though a classic classic kind of European setup, which is to say. You have fairways, and then you have very gnarly rough. And I was out there by myself on a very quiet Tuesday morning, and it was a mistake to go play by myself because I had to stop after nine holes and buy some more balls. You you could not miss (laughs) the fairways at this venue. Um, So Victor Hovland, who has now sort of every weapon in his bag, if, if this golf course requires, in my humble estimation, players who are capable of hitting fairways. And I think you're going to see a lot of iron off the tee. I think it really is going to take driver out, but I don't think it matters to Hovland and he has supreme confidence and, you know, he's a fairway finder. It's one of his strengths for sure. He led the field in driving accuracy at East Lake. And that was with driver. Um, If you take driver out of his hands, I don't think it's a significant disadvantage for him. So team Europe climbing aboard his, his back and riding him for sure. That that's a, it's a pretty powerful uh, weapon in their arsenal. All right. Let's flip to the American side. A lot of people looking at their phones over the next 24 to 48 hours, waiting for a phone call to head to Rome. Uh, Who's is ringing first? Well, I, I think the six 
guys for the U.S. team are going to be Brooks Kepka because of the combination of, you know, Ryder Cup experience plus, you know, his performance this year, the resurgence of, of Brooks. And it's no small thing to have a, one of the most recognizable professional golfers in the world as part of this exhibition, this TV event, right? We mm-hmm. want to see uh, golfers that we're familiar with, which also explains why Jordan Spieth is going to be on the team. Colin Morikawa, I think, is going to be on the team. Um, and then it's a little more, you know, there is there is a little more sort of debate about, you know, the the, the last three spots. Um, I, I do think that uh, Cameron Young, the young guy from um, Wake Forest, had a decent performance this year in uh, the majors. He didn't make it all the way to Eastlake in terms of the tour championship. But uh, it seems like Cam Young is going to make the team. Ricky Fowler, speaking of, uh, you know, names and faces that we're familiar with, um, had a great year. So he's going to be on the team. And then the most, I guess it's controversial because he didn't have a good year. But Justin Thomas, I think, is going to be on the U.S. team because of his experience, because of his relationship with these guys. And I I think the U.S. team is looking for team chemistry and, and team building. Um, so some guys who played well this season are going to be left out. I feel bad for uh, Keegan Bradley. I feel bad for a guy that won twice in the last uh, month or so, Lucas Glover. Um, so, but I don't think either one of those guys are going to make the team ultimately. So you you kind of laid it out there. It doesn't seem like, uh, I don't know, I don't know how confident you are in those selections, but uh, you seemed pretty confident. Uh, I thought, or I at least thought, like, you know, Zach Johnson's got a tough job here. Like, even Brooks, like, there be people that'll piss off by taking Brooks, but you seem pretty confident in those selections. It, does Zach Johnson's job, is it tougher than Luke Donald's? Like, if you compare these two, and I don't know how, uh, you're probably... Uh, plenty more interest in the U.S. team uh, than the European team in terms of the selection process, excuse me. But, like, which job do you think is tougher right now? And you've kind of laid it out that Zach Johnson's, it might not be all that difficult despite, you know, Lucas Glover putting in the challenge that he did and making, you know, this late-season surge. It's just not going to be enough because it was pretty much set in stone already. So if you compare the two captains, like, which one has a harder job right now? Probably Luke Donald because the U.S. has sort of more to choose from. There's more depth on the U.S. side, I think, um, on, on the European side. that they, they, You have kind of seven really solid candidates, eight depending on your perspective. I mean, Shane Lowry didn't have a great um, season just, just this past year, but he's a stalwart. So, you know, you have seven or eight guys, but you're you're kind of trying to – split hairs between names like Robert McIntyre and, and, uh, and Matt Wallace um, when you get to the bottom of the bottom four slots in, in Europe. Um, and, you know, Adrian Moronk, I think, has a, a reasonable case. But, you know, the, the, the guys that um, Luke Donald's going to pick will for sure be guys that, you know, have, I, I think, demonstrated excellence at the style of golf course that this Marco Simone outside of Rome is featuring, which is fairway finding and green finding. You cannot miss the fairways or greens at this venue um, because you're, you're immediately in trouble just a little bit off of, of the smooth surfaces. 
if you're a guy on the bubble like uh, Glover or Bradley, are you expecting a call either way? Like, are you waiting to get either the, hey, man, you're close, you had a great year, but we just were tight on roster spots, or are you just not going to get a call either way? I think, though, I think Captain Zach will call. I mean, part of the job of, of captain is, you know, um, the the – the courtesy, the cordiality—they're all, you know, they're all part of the same professional tour. I forgot to mention Sam Burns, who also deserves mm-hmm. uh, some recognition for his late season push. Uh, Keegan Bradley has has been openly advocating for a spot. He wants to be on the team. He played on the team that pulled that was, that competed back in Medina. He and Phil Mickelson, you know, in, in a different era, were a pretty potent combination so uh keegan's been out politicking if he hadn't shot three over yesterday i think he might have you know he, he played well in this uh event down at east lake but um i don't think quite well enough if he had finished like under par and had a top five finish at east lake i think he might have had a better argument um and to me the, the last sort of spot that's up for grabs is the spot that cam young mm-hmm. occupies because he didn't make it to the tour championship. He he was a you know and around the, the top fifty on uh, a, a points basis in the FedEx Cup kind of standings all year long, which is not like up to the standard that folks anticipated for him this year. And he's young. Cam Young is young. It's kind of dumb, but um, yeah. So he'll have more opportunities to compete. Um, but yeah, I think Captain Zach will be courteous. He'll call Lucas. He'll call Keegan. I think I'll call Sam Burns if, if indeed this plays out with Cam Young getting that last slot. But I, the U.S. has, over the years, gotten better about you know how it builds um, the, the team and it has tried to, to, it seems, come up with a good mix of young guys and veterans uh, and has like a long-range plan for these team competitions, the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup, and you need the, the young blood to, to, you know, have some experience to be groomed alongside the veterans to have um, a really competitive team year and year out. Is part of maybe like the fact that Cam Young has a leg up that he has certain skills that you can pair with someone else to get like the best possible team together where maybe Keegan Bradley is a generalist and I don't know what his stats are from like T to green versus putting or whatever. Um, but he, but a guy like Cam Young is plus in one area so you can put him with someone who's plus in the opposing area to create something that would be greater than the sum of its parts or is that overthinking what Zach Johnson would be doing? No, I think that is exactly what they're doing. I, th- I think that uh, you're, you're on the money, Justin. Like that, that's precisely the kind of splitting of hairs because what, what you're doing now is indeed you know, splitting hairs. There's not an enormous difference between Cam Young and Keegan Bradley if you're just looking at like raw performance over the course of this year. Now, on the, the way that they allocate points for the Ryder Cup, Cam Young is ninth in uh, the U.S you know, points rankings, and he's ahead of, of Keegan Bradley. So the way that they weight performance for the purposes of that makes sense. But but Cam Young, his his strength is, you know, um, distance uh, off the tee for sure, but he's not just a, a driver bomber. Uh, and he showed us in particular good performances at the Open Championship, which uh, the last two years he has top ten in the Open Championship, uh, both this year and last year, he um, can go to Europe and compete in that style of golf. 
And those two venues were pretty different. Um, Birkdale, I mean, uh, uh, Liverpool and St. Andrews, pretty different venues. And, and him being able to demonstrate uh, a competency in the two different kinds of skill sets. Might have lost Joe there. Joe, Joe, Joe House, host of the Fairway Rolling Podcast, host of East Coast Bias. Um, we have like a couple minutes. We could get him back or. I think we probably push through. I get back for a minute, through. but uh, it's, you know, it's up to you. We, no got, worries, we got enough guys, with the wake unless and rake. he's there now. You just let us know. Uh, we do have a wake and rake coming up. Um, we do have the Blue Jays series to preview. We'll just see what's going on with Joe. I may or may not have. I was interesting, definitely interested in what he was doing with the Ryder Cup because there was the opportunity to, you know, bet on players making the Ryder Cup. I was a little, I, got some time. I might have some Cam Young and I was a little disappointed uh, okay. that, hey, he didn't make this these last events. And what does that mean for him? Uh, weirdly or oddly, some of these guys benefited by not playing. Like, mm-hmm. as he mentioned, Keegan Bradley shooting three over final round, not making something of being, of being at the tournament where as others didn't make or didn't qualify for the tournament that he qualified through merit alone. It's, it's strange how these things work out, but uh, you know, some of it is that like Keegan Bradley played a lot of golf and can do a lot, but can he give you the upside in certain situations like a cam young cam, who's like a bomber and can, you know, pair with a really good putter and maybe formulate a really good team uh, that way. So yeah, it's not just as simple as oh, who's the best golfer. How about Joe house going out there and solo golf in the, uh, the course there in Italy. I, I wish that was like more of a possibility in Canada, in Ontario. So what, go get a solo round out there on a Tuesday morning. It would be beautiful. But you can't. It's always busy. Golf courses here are always busy. At least it seems. Like, have you ever, how many times no, have you been, how many times have you been at a golf? by myself. No, I'm saying how many times you've been at a golf course where it's just like, oh, I could have just like gone by myself and breezed through this. Never. There's always someone behind you, always <laughs> someone in front of you. I wish I could just, you know, just go out and. Around. I bet a solo Especially round a would be Ryder nice. Cup venue. Oh yeah, I bet a solo round would be nice. You just you're in your own head. You just you don't chat. You just do your own thing. You don't have to wait for your no co-host to running hit. over your ball. Yeah, it's pretty simple there. Uh, we'll get Joe on another time as well to preview some NFL uh, stuff we wanted to chat with him about. Uh, but it was good good golf content. We needed that today. Wrap that up. Uh, but let's do a wake and rake to wrap up our show. Wake up. Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money. With Ailish and Justin. Okay, so <laughs> Justin and I were talking off the air about a new parlay for the day. It's like the ultimate happiness hedge. So there's two Jay Grays pitching in the MLB tonight. Jay Gray, one against... <laughs> One against the Blue, the Blue Jays. Jays, one for the Texas Rangers. So if it's a nightmare scenario where the Jay Grays, the Josiah and John Grays of the world mm-hmm. just dominate, it's bad news for the Blue Jays, but it makes a decent parlay. So I parlayed this up. The Jay Gray parlay. Say that five times fast. Just for Ks, like strikeouts? I was doing just their, their win, the they lead their team to oh, a victory. Well, I've got that as a parlay. I got a parlay of strikeouts over strikeouts for both of them okay the jay gray parlay over five and a half for john gray and over four and a half for desire gray it's plus 362 okay that might that 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 leaves some room for some desired results for the blue jays but if it is the absolute nightmare scenario (laughs) jay gray parlay washington nationals beat the blue jays and rangers beat the mets which seems very possible okay uh it would be plus 408 
plus 408. You can play the Jay Gray parlay any way you want. Hey. Jays are big favorites tonight. Okay, Minus Jays are huge favorites tonight. Kevin um, Gosman. Let's give you, once again, the update on the Jays to make the playoffs. By fan graphs today, 48.5% chance to make the playoffs. All the teams are chasing, which would be, well, Astros, 86.8% chance to make the playoffs. Mariners, 85.1% chance to make the playoffs. And Rangers, who have slid significantly, are still 65.3% chance to make playoffs. So... What were the Jays one more time? 48 and a half. So 48.5% uh, from Fangraphs right now to make the playoffs. You, you've got to pay. Minus 145 favorites to make the playoffs if you're the Blue Jays. That doesn't add up. I don't like that. So if you're just no. doing mathematics and you're comparing what might be reality or be projections versus actual numbers, plus 115 Blue Jays to miss the playoffs. Not saying you should play that, but I don't know if I'd be running to the table or the the – the counter to play minus 145 Blue Jays make the playoffs when Fangraphs has them at under 50% right now. We're also in the first round of the U.S. Open. Uh, we'll get some time to chat that this week, but you're hoping to see the Djokovic-Alcaraz final um, and hopefully some of our Canadians make a little noise. Uh, but I'll give you my parlay piece for today. Looking at the board, surprising to see the Houston Astros as plus money on the money line against the Boston Red Sox. I know that Red Sox are at home, but the Astros... Are a better baseball team. I don't think that that's too much to say. So I'm going to go Astros money line to beat the Red Sox plus 110. Uh, I've been playing the Mariners a lot. I'm going to continue playing the Mariners. They're hosting the Athletics. Uh, I imagine they're going to get things done against the Athletics this week. Uh, Brian Wu on the bump for the Mariners. Can't play them on the money line. I'll play them on the run line. Minus 115 Mariners to win by two or more over Oakland. Okay. Also, just because you mentioned the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned, you know, what you want to see, Alcaraz, Djokovic. The finalists, those two, the dream scenario, plus 187. I it's like not bad. that a lot. Might look at that after the show. Okay. Uh, a couple wake and rake submissions. Thanks for getting those in. Dan from Peterborough says, Brandon Belt over zero and a half hits. He has made at least one hit in the last seven out of ten games. There you go. Uh, Corey from Port Hope. Uh, glad to have you guys back. Sweet. Thanks, uh, Corey. His wake and rake parlay. Philly's money line. Versus the Angels tonight. Okay. Interesting. Um, Big E, Eric in Burlington. Today he likes Jay's money line over the Nationals. Baltimore in the White Sox game over eight and a half. And Texas minus one and a half over the Mets. Have a great day. Uh, I'm, I think, you know, Texas is a decent, like, bounce back spot here. There, it is plus money, minus one and a half uh, with John Gray. I kind of like, I mean, it's not a suggestion, but the John Gray case is interesting to me. But I'll let you finalize the parlay. Um, okay. Well, we can't do Blue Jays money line. I, I think we got to stay on Why the Why don't Blue we Jays. do Texas minus one and a half of the I Mets. agree with that one. That's plus money right now. Okay. I'm going to plop that in there. This is a profitable parlay, folks. Plus 710. There we go. Astros money line, Mariners on the run line, Rangers on the run line, plus 710, and you have your J. Gray parlay. Sorry, it was Mariners, Astros, Rangers? Yes. So nightmare scenario for the Jays, but <laughs> something, <laughs> something that does feel... It's decidedly possible. Whatever. We'll take it. Uh, quick text before you say goodbye. Chad from Peterborough. I shot 75 in 78 minutes last week, playing by myself an hour and a half before the course closed for the day. That's the way to do it. That is the way to do it. Chad knows what's up. Uh, great to be back on the morning show. We missed everybody, and we'll see you tomorrow morning on a Looney Dogs Tuesday.